Welcome, salty sailors, to the wonderful world of The Salty Pastor, a podcast designed to help you navigate the treacherous waters of life on this planet. We are committed to the motto, the more truth you know, the better decisions you make. So we're here to help you discover your path to knowing the real Jesus and discovering the real life he has for you. So let's welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. <laughs> this is the WWE, and pretty soon The Rock is going to come out and say, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? <laughs> um, greetings to you. Remember, we're trying out uh, a new moniker for all of you listening. That You guys are going to be the Salty Sailors. Uh, unless you can come up with something better. Yeah, we haven't gotten a lot of feedback on it yet, so I can't tell if it's good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. So we're just shooting in the dark here. So, But uh, everything's really, really good here, and I'm excited to be here in our new series, what we're talking about. So we're currently in our series on faith and science, and we're asking the question if these two concepts are antithetical to one another or are they in line with one mm -hmm. another? Mm -hmm. Do they support one another? It is a very important question to think about because it influences how yes. you make decisions and what decisions you think are important. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important also because this question is used by the world yes. and all of its major influencers to lead children and young adults away from God. Now, mm -hmm. Pastor Doug... Doug <laughs> <laughs> what principles will we be discussing today? Well, we've been discussing how the conflict theory is used today to lead people away from God, and it's used by a belief system that is faith-based called atheism or naturalism. And what they want to do is they want to convince people that science proves that God doesn't exist. It, it holds the core value that faith or theism in general, particularly Christianity, is incompatible with science because of that. Now, here's one form of how the conflict theory is expressed today. Scientific discovery advances the quality for our every human being. So that's premise one. Scientific discovery is good because it advances life quality for all human beings. Number two, atheists claim that theism hinders scientific inquiry and interferes with human advancement. Now, Christianity on the other side says that if there is a God, then there is a design to creation, and this will drive scientific inquiry, innovation, and advancement. So who is right? So that's kind of the debate how what we're going to discuss today. Now, for those of you longtime listeners, you're going to notice that the Salty Pastor is kind of experiencing a slight format change mm -hmm. from what we usually do because this series and this topic um, are a bit unique. We can't do our usual style. Um, you've been arguing effectively that the conflict theory is not true, but often used as a ploy to lead people away from a rational evaluation of the facts. It produces a prejudice mm -hmm. instead of a truth. Yep. Last week, you showed how the New Testament encouraged the early scientists to explore our natural mm -hmm. world and how the scientific revolution was dominated by Christian thinkers and scientists. You had the whole banner that went through the whole auditorium. <laughs> did you like that? I did. It was great. That's a powerful illustration. And now that what they don't know is it's just wrapped around the walls of your office <laughs> now. <laughs> so. And then... Uh, 
I guess today we're or this week we're kind of talking about how does this form of conflict theory challenge people of faith today? Well, one thing that theists and atheists, I guess, agree on is that scientific exploration and innovation is good for human beings. So in that regard, we have agreement. We both want to see that. Now, last week in my message, I talked about there are small groups of people in Christendom, but they're very, very small who are religious superstition. And they, they, they see all science or all knowledge of any type as evil, very similar to the Luddites and their approach. If you're not familiar with what the Luddites were, they were a group of people that believed machines were evil. And so they went around destroying machines during the Industrial Revolution. Were they the same people that thought that uh, photographs would steal your soul? <laughs> no. Was that a different group? That's a different That's group? That's a different okay. group. <laughs> the Luddites just went around and, and destroyed machines. But so they, they, they kind of... Um, uh, religious superstitionists kind of do that, but that's not Orthodox Christianity at all. And that's not what's been around for 2000 years and it's not biblical. So if both atheists and theists, uh, agree on that, you know, what's the next step? Well, the disagreement is that atheists hinder science and theists enhance it. Now, here's how the syllogism works, okay? It's called a postulate. And what a postulate is, is a logical mental math. And here's how it works. Atheists claim a belief in Jesus is irrational. Therefore, it undermines scientific inquiry. That's their, pre that's their premise, is faith is irrational. So the real question then becomes, who is really the most motivated, the most interested, the most curious when it comes to scientific exploration and innovation? Is it the atheist who says faith is irrational or is it the theist who says, because I have faith, I see design? So atheists and theists, particularly like Christianity, mm -hmm. have a point of agreement. They agree that scientific inquiry is a good thing for humanity. Yes. However, atheists believe Christians are all about faith, and since faith is irrational, by definition, it must be a hindrance to exploration. Mm -hmm. What are some of the practical ways this comes out as an objection? Well, a lot of times what you'll hear atheists talk about, which I find really fascinating because there's not a lot of Christian philosophers theists and academics who ever talk about this uh and that is it's called god of the gaps and what an atheist will say is that faith propagates god of the gaps and that is whenever there isn't an answer to something you know like oh we don't know this or whatever theists are going to say well that's a gap god did it let it be a mystery we don't care and they base this off of a premise that says this Look at all the things that Christians used to believe and then science proved wrong. OK. And so the, the problem with that is a logical syllogism is it's false. It's not good logic because in reality, science has proven scientists wrong more than they've proved theists wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. For instance, case in point, uh, George Washington. He went to bed with a sore throat, right? And he probably had uh, uh, an infection, you know, maybe strep throat or something like that. And so they called the doctor. The doctor came over and the scientist bled him. 
with okay. the leeches, right? Well, not with a leech. They actually cut it open and just bled out 40% of his blood. Oh, my gosh. And so he died. You know, he didn't have it. You know, when almost half your blood flow is gone, you're, you're, there, it makes you incredibly weak. And then he died from it. Now, you might say, well, if it was strep throat, there's a high likelihood he would have died from it anyway at his age. But how do you know? Because it's a crazy thing to bleed you. And that killed him. Well, no doctor today bleeds people in order to cure them from an infection. You just don't do that. You give them an antibiotic. In Richard Dawkins' book, you know, so that's one thing that they do is they say, well, there's God of the gaps because we've proven all this stuff that Christians used to believe. Well, that's silly because we believe, theists believe in advancement and innovation and discovery and, and really embrace it when it comes. So what we're talking about here is what actually hinders it. You know, is it faith? Well, if you're going to use that argument, you're going to have to say, well, then scientists hinder it as well, because scientists believe all things that were wrong that have been proven wrong. Right. So there's there's that issue. Second of all, um, they use this notion that there is no designer and it's impassioned. And Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The Blind Watchmaker. He wrote it before his book, The God Delusion. And this book was a better book than The God Delusion. The God Delusion is really kind of just a bitter diatribe. And it doesn't have any really rational arguments in it. They're all emotional-based. So, you know, it's, it's not really that great to read. It doesn't really benefit anything. But the, the blind watchmaker did because he tried to articulate some, some uh, positions and postulates that were really he, in his attempt to make them substantial. And one of, this is what he says in that book. He says... All appearances to the contrary, the only watchmaker in nature is the blind forces of physics, albeit deployed in a very special way. A true watchmaker has foresight. He designs his cogs and springs in their interconnections with a future purpose in his mind's eye. Natural selection, the blind automatic process Darwin discovered and which we now know is the explanation for the existence and purposeful form of all life has no purpose in mind. It has no mind and no mind's eye. It does not plan for the future. It has no vision, no foresight, no sight at all. If it can be said to play a role of watchmaker in nature, it is the blind watchmaker. And his point that he's making is this, and it's even the subtitle of the book, is that evolution proves there is no design. So he's trying to make that argument, and he uses three basic ways to do it. To summate those for you, the structure of his argument is basically this, his first premise. We know of no irrefutable objections that it is biologically possible that all life has come into existence by unguided evolution. Now, let me read that again because it's kind of a word salad a little bit. So he says, we have no irrefutable objections. So he's saying there's objections, but we can refute them all. He says that bio, that it is biologically possible that all life came into existence by unguided evolution. So what he's basically saying is that uh, you can't refute our belief that this happened. The possibility yeah, that yeah, this happened. That, yeah, not that it did, but this the possibility Okay, now you're getting in mathematic probabilities and you, you get into imaginary numbers and speculation, all these kinds of things. So then his second premise is this. Well, all life has come in to be by unguided evolution. Okay, whenever you're doing mental math, you cannot use 
in one premise, a statement, and then in the second premise, the same assumption, right? That, that's like saying, well, you know, in, in the dictionary, when you say, well, what does postulate mean? Well, it's a postulate that means something. Right. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to so say you can't you can't do in math. You can't do that on both sides of the equation. Right. Otherwise, it, it just you can't do that. It's logically incongruent. And that's exactly what he does. So then he draws his conclusion, which is a fallacy. Evolution proves a universe without design. Well, th this wouldn't even pass philosophy 101. I mean, if you were an 18 year old freshman and you came up with an argument like this, your your philosophy professor, she would laugh at you. And she would just say, this is absurd. There's nothing rational about it. There's no logic. It's pure fiction. And therefore, in his book, what he attempts to do is say, all material world is all that exists. And then he's trying to say, this evolution proves there's no designer. But the question is, is if there's no designer, this is the real question. Who's more motivated more excited, more committed to authentic scientific discovery? Is it the person who believes there's no purpose, there's no design, there's no meaning to it, there's no reason to know it, whether you do or not, or the person that says there is a design and we can discover what that design is? My contention and my belief is that it is Christianity and Christianity alone that inspires scientific discovery, not atheism. That's a pretty bold claim, Pastor. It, it, it is, but it's true nonetheless. Well, why are you convinced this is the case? Well, all you need to do is evaluate the foundation on which each position stands, right? Christianity claims a simple postulate. Your life is sentient, okay? There is a you that is you, right? That extends beyond just your physical uh, manifestation, you have a thing called a soul, and this is what makes you unique. Because there is a God, you are a part of his creation, and therefore you have individual sovereignty, you have value as a human being, you have free will, and you have a capacity to make choices that affect the outcome in your life. Now, the more you discover, the more you know, the more you grow, the better outcome in your life, right? The better quality of life. And also, the more you know, your desire to share it with other people improves their quality of life. Now, on the other side of it, the premise of atheism is exactly the opposite. You are not unique. You're not special. Your life has no meaning. It has no purpose. This is means that Everything altruistic, all the virtues like love, uh, significance, value, affirmation are non-existent illusions. Things your brain just makes up. Like if you're in the matrix, you know, it just makes it up. So you don't understand the true nature of what you are. Like in the matrix, a battery to, to power some AI in control of the universe. You have no free will whatsoever. Your choices don't matter. There is no objective right or wrong. So what difference does it make what you choose to do and how you live your life? So let me ask you, with those two alternatives, which is the one that inspires you to hire things? Well, I've got to be honest, the meaningless <laughs> life one where there's no me, no soul, no love. 
is a pretty depressing option. <laughs> it's very so I'm depressing. probably going to go with the other one. <laughs> okay. Um, but I get the point. Like, I, I mean, this leads to the question, like, why did the early scientists who launched the, the scientific revolution become inspired to go deeper and explore the natural world? Well, that's where we can really see what the New Testament recorded and, and talked about, you know, and there's a passage in Colossians chapter one. Now, last week we talked about first Corinthians chapter one, and this is called a a priori passage of scripture. It's also known as a Christology. And basically what that means is that it was a passage of scripture on which all Orthodox Christianity for 2,000 years has said this is one of the essential stones, rocks, on which we have our faith. And so it's, it describes who Jesus is and how he and God and the Holy Spirit are a holy trinity. They're, they're one, three and one, so to speak. And this is what he says in verse 15 of chapter 1. The Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, this is kind of what these early followers of Christ uh, said was a, a powerful truth for all Christianity. And then throughout centuries, people would, you know, kind of just focus, meditate on this passage and over time more and more uh, principles come out of it principle number one and is that we experience jesus i mean these early followers and disciples they saw him right they heard him when he spoke they felt him they could reach out and slap him on the back they could smell him they ate with him they slept next to him and heard him snore and that's why when Jesus said to Philip, if you see me, you see the father. And so what it is, is it's like, wow, God is invisible. We've never seen God, but we saw Jesus, right? Right. And we ate with Jesus. And, and then when he raised from the dead, he just didn't raise from the dead as an apparition or a spirit thing floating around. He had a fleshly resurrection, right? So people started thinking about this over throughout the centuries and they start realizing, hmm, that Gnostic notion that the material world is evil and all flesh is evil is not true because Jesus was resurrected in the flesh and he came to represent as, as the image of God and by seeing him we see God by knowing him we know God and so they start to realize wow just think what we could have learned more about God if we'd paid better attention when right. he was here and so these early scientists in the 15th and 16th and 17th century start thinking that wow the material world is just as important as the spiritual world. And just like on the first week of this series, Romans 1.20, it says that in creation, we see his invisible attributes. So the principle became, wow, if, 
if Jesus, everything was created in the heavens and the earth in Jesus, that first principle, then by knowing Jesus, we can know more about this world. And by knowing more about this world, we'll know more about Jesus. And so that was a powerful inspiration because what motivates every follower of Christ is to know Jesus more. So that really inspired these early thinkers to go into that direction. It's like, boy, this is a new area that we could find out more about Jesus. The second thing in this passage is that Jesus created everything and what we can see and not see, visible and invisible. So what if we could see, what if we can dig into what we can't see? How much more could we experience God? Here's a perfect example is that uh, Copernicus proposed that the uh, earth revolved around the sun, right? And he did it mathematically, but there weren't any telescopes or anything that were powerful enough to really observe any of that. So Galileo comes along, and in 1610, Galileo, really what he's known for is he created a new telescope so that he could see so much more clearly. And that's what launched his belief that Copernicus was right, because now he could visibly confirm the math, right? right. So, so that is, was a powerful biblical principle, and that is, well, Jesus created everything visible and invisible. The more invisible we can see, the more we can know about Jesus. So that inspired them to build better tools and better tools and better tools and instruments to measure more things. Finally, and this is what's really, I think, critical in this passage of Scripture, is it says that he created all things and in him all things hold together. And if you remember Kepler, who came up with the laws of planetary motion, his big thing was God designed the universe. And I was able to understand and discover these laws of motion, planetary motion and everything else, because I knew it had a design. It has a reason why it does what it does, because there's a designer and early on, like uh, St. Bartholomew and some other people talked about these things in the uh, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th centuries about how uh, God is the watchmaker, you see. Now, a lot of people are not aware of this, but once the maritime arts expanded and they started building ships that could sail, they found out. Uh, how to make a compass right early on, you could have a compass that would point north north right so they they knew that they had a magnetic north. The problem was is that that could tell you where you were latitudinally, right so you can get a heading of due west and stick on it. The problem is is you have no idea where you are longitudinally you you don't know where you you're only, at you only have one dimension yeah. to work on. And so the, the, the way you figure that out and you use a thing called a sextet, which basically looks at the height of the sun on the horizon and then you bring it down, you measure that angle and then you do it at time, time intervals, right? And you can tell, you can pinpoint yourself latitude and longitude by doing that, by using an old fashioned sextet. And the, but the problem that the maritime uh, adventurers had is, uh, and this happened a big time, for, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> something stuck in my throat, is uh, when they sailed early on to come discover the New Americas, you know, they, they were like, oh, we're going to, you know, the, 
They want to do mutinies and all this kind of stuff because they didn't know if they'd ever run into land, and they eventually did. But that caused a problem. But now what they needed is a clock to to gauge it. But you put a big old clock on a boat, you know, and because they had clocks, and the problem is, is those things would get all out of whack because they were mechanical. Right, because they had to be in balance and line, yes. which is why they used to have like the clock tuners is that what yes. they were clock yep. tuners that yeah. would come in and gently like they were very fine precision yes instruments that had to be which is why the queens all the queens clocks have to be constantly tuned because she <laughs> yeah. has all the old clocks, clocks. that still need exactly that. and so the biggest thing was is how could you do a wind-up watch right and how could you get it to act precisionly and so or precisely and so what they did is one of the most remarkable technological advances is a guy is they they put a watch a portable watch they wound it up and they put it in a block a box and they sealed it they sailed across the ocean and they opened it up and they compared it with a clock there and it was like 15 seconds difference and once they had that now we have a portable watch that can tell us exactly where they were and then that's when the maritime arts just exploded i mean they sailed all over the because place because they had a reliable yeah they always knew where they were at this is why dawkins and atheists always talk about the blind watchmaker because if you were to be walking through the desert you know and you saw a dirt clod what would you think oh that's a result of nature you walk along you see a sand dune you say oh that's a result of nature you see um a salt deposit you go oh that seems to be a then you walk up and there's a watch laying there and it's running and it's on time you pick it up what do you think oh somebody dropped this right <laughs> so you just your assumption is is in the blink of an eye you see it has design because of its complexity Right now, if you believe that the world around you has so much complexity because God designed it, is God finite or infinite? Infinite. He's infinite. So if he created something, then we, we can continue to discover his creation almost infinitely without end. Some people are like, well, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? You know, eternity is a long time. I'm so bored. You know, I always hear that from 11 and 12 year olds. <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, I, I can't wait to get there because of the excitement is that for, for eternity, I can explore the depth of the creation. I can go anywhere because I'm not limited to space anymore and I'm not limited to time. I could see, I could see the creation of the universe all over again. I could see, I mean, just that alone excites me to be able to see and experience all of those things as well as be in the presence of Jesus. So I feel like the, we started this discussion with, Atheists and theists, particularly Christians, agree that scientific inquiry is good. It's good for you as an individual. It's good for humanity. My contention is, is that everything that the atheist says is incongruent and irrational with being motivated to study and learn more. Right. You know, the only reason why you would want to learn more is so that you could control and manipulate other people for your own gain. Yeah. And ha in, in science in the last 50 years, have we seen that to be the case? I would say so. Absolutely. I mean, that's definitely what the media basically preys on is yeah. being able to control and, and so, the knowledge. So, I mean, if I was a scientist and that was my main career, it would drive me nuts and I'd speak out against them doing that. 
Uh, that's why I think so many Christians are getting involved in science and doing some of the greatest innovative work, just like the original scientists that launched the scientific revolution, is because they are so highly motivated. They see greater purpose. They see greater wonder. They see greater beauty in it, and they want to know more. Well, I kind of think about it as almost like a detective. Like mm -hmm. It's a little more grisly, but it's like a detective could walk up, and if they have no assumption that there's a murder, they just see trees rocks right whatever but if they've known hey something has happened here yeah. suddenly that rock having been moved or has this meaning. stuff l has meaning which causes him to further investigate and he has more motivation to spend time looking at yes. things he might just go for a walk in a park and not see anything but if he knows there's been a murder in this park suddenly everything has meaning and could potentially be a clue yes. to something bigger and greater going on so that's kind of that's it's, motivation yeah see? it's a motivation that's inspiration and so i i would I'll, I'll take money down on i'll take money down on christian scientists who are out there exploring and doing stuff uh i think that they ultimately are going to push the scientific needle further on down the path you know than this silly atheistic naturalistic scientific materialism ideology which just kind of hinders everything well it's become obvious that what paul wrote would inspire anyone mm -hmm. to know more about the world in which we live um and i'm really excited to explore more about the implications of design on thursday yes um we hope you guys join us on thursday as well um we're here every tuesday and thursday just chatting about the great <laughs> questions of life and how you matter and should be involved in it. So Amen. Uh, we appreciate you guys joining us. We'll see you on Thursday yes. here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. God's blessing on all you salty sailors. <laughs>